thanks for joining me for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast from Strong Towns. I'm your host, Rachel. I got connected with today's guest through my colleague, Lauren. She used to work for an arts and culture magazine in her city of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And today we are talking with the founder and owner of that magazine, Nick Meyer. Nick started Volume 1 when he was fresh out of college as a way to help show his city the life and vitality that were happening all around them. 20 years later, the publication has grown tremendously and expanded into a retail space. It's the co-host and creator of many local events, and it's an all-around supporter of the Eau Claire community. Eau Claire, like so many places across America, has experienced a decline in economic activity and local pride after important industries wound down operations and left the community in decades past. Volume 1 was born out of what Nick describes simply as a desire to see cool things happen here. And that spark has proven significant in helping to uplift the whole city. In this conversation, Nick talks about the powerful feedback loop that happens when you shine a spotlight on what's going on in your town. This theme resonates across so many guests we've had on the show and featured in articles on the Strong Towns website. When people step up and start to care about their place and take action to make it better, others follow suit and the bottom up revolution begins. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nick Meyer. Nick Meyer, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for asking. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your community? Sure. I am 42 years old here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I'm from Elk Mound, which is a small town of about 700 people just 10 miles uh, to the west of here. So this was the move to the big city for college for me in Eau Claire, which is more of a community of about 70,000 people. Uh, of course, you know, there's a couple of the communities very close by. It becomes more of an area of 150,000 or so when you take the whole little region here. But um, it's a two river town uh, lake uh, built on industry in, in the old days, of course, logging. And then later on, it was a big tire manufacturing town through the Unirail plant, which closed in the early 90s and caused a huge disruption in the identity of the place and what it was going to be moving forward. Uh, my organization, Volume One, entered about a little less than 10 years later in 2002 to start talking about the arts and the entertainment of this community and the culture of where it was going and the downtown and kind of rediscovering its rivers and its recreational opportunities and, and rebuilding itself as kind of a, a creative place and attracting new and different kinds of employers and growing their own. We've been telling those stories for about almost 20 years now. And uh, the community has completely reinvented itself in those 20 years. And there's just a whole whole different ecosystem of how this place uh, lives and works and, and people visit here and everything else. So it's been a it's been a fun ride these 20 years. You said that you came to Eau Claire for, for college and then what made you decide to stay? Well, I was extremely close to moving away to the Minneapolis St. Paul area. I had a friend that was there and had an extra had an extra room, and I was going to kind of make a, a change of direction there and, and flock to the big city like a lot of my uh, you know a lot of my peers and things were doing. And then we happened to start this this magazine, Volume One, just out on a whim. I was in some bands and things in those days, and I was you know twenty twenty one years old. I was just turned twenty two when we started the publication, but 
it was really that that made me stay. It was like, well, this was kind of a fun project. Let's make a couple more of these. It was kind of every month at that point and see where this goes. And pretty soon you become so invested in the place and the ideas and the other people telling their stories of what they're trying to do to make this a better and more interesting place that you, you start to get, it gets a little stickier and it gets harder to go. And pretty soon you've built a, you know, a business and you've got employees and, and then comes, you know, relationships and families and, and then, you know, you're stuck for better or worse. <laughs> and I think mostly, you know, for, for the most part, it's been for the better in our, in my case, because the great thing about a town of this size, like Eau Claire and in where we are in Wisconsin, yes, we've got access to, to Minneapolis, St. Paul, just an hour and a half away. We've got, you know, Madison, just a couple hours to the South. Um, so you've got kind of those bigger city amenities, not too far away, but this town at this size is a place that somebody with, you know, some ambition and some interest to make some things happen can make an impact. You know, it's not too big that you get lost in it all. And it's not too small that what you do doesn't matter because it does have some impact and it starts to take hold and people do show some interest. So it's kind of a perfect sized town to spend, you know, at least the first part of my career trying to trying to make whatever impact I can. And it's kind of evolved in a lot of different ways. So you started this magazine volume one 20 years ago. That's really impressive, especially like as a very young person to to start an initiative like that. How do you see the magazine kind of responding to those challenges that you mentioned at the start, like the community transitioning from being a place of industry to like finding its new identity? Um, How has your magazine been a part of that journey? Well, early on, I think uh, I definitely, and I think a lot of our early contributors, because a lot of us were in our early 20s when we kind of started writing for the publication and taking photos and things like that, probably suffered from a little bit of a lack of historical perspective on that at the time. We were kind of felt like we were at the ground floor of just, you know, I think, and that's one thing people have asked, why is the magazine called Volume One? And it's not a very good story, really. It was it was just a mistake in the design when we were like typing, okay, what are we going to call this thing? Let's call it, okay, it's volume one, issue one. And the typeset was set too big <laughs> and it just typed out <laughs> volume one across the top and we didn't have another name. So we just left it. But later on, I kind of reverse engineered it. And I was saying, well, it's because every issue is, is the first issue in the future of this community, the first step towards where we were going. And so, but that, you know, was sounded like a smart answer to me, you know, 20 years ago, but now it, 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 max of a, of a lack of, you know, historical understanding of what happened before did matter a lot. And, and I think I've learned a lot more about that since, since then as have our staff and, and our various contributors and things. But so, I mean, what we had to navigate really was just, there was a sense when we started that people thought that there was nothing to do in this community. And there was a lot of exodus and a lot of brain drain happening where people were taking off for for greener pastures and more exciting places to be. Um, but we knew there were a lot of things going on under the surface, kind of in this, the subculture of the community through music and arts and, and film and, and some creative entrepreneurship and things that really weren't, those stories weren't getting told in kind of the mainstream television media or the daily newspaper here. And so we really wanted to kind of get those out there to kind of start to foster a sort of a feedback loop that would get people thinking and talking about, you know, where things were were going in this community and feeding into their own ideas as well. So tell us a little bit about the magazine, like what is in a regular issue? What are like some of the stories that you're most proud of that you've covered over the years? Well, Volume 1 started as pretty much an arts and entertainment only sort of publication uh, where, you know, we cover music and and theater and and stuff that was happening that, you know, and those 
realms. But as we grew and evolved, uh, we started to get much more interested in you know downtown revitalization and recreational opportunities and economic development and, and creative economic development, really, um, and the arts as economic development in different ways. So our scope has broadened quite a bit, and we are more than ever um, a little bit more of a, of a general interest local publication, and we do have news and what's happening uh, in, in the world. Notably, we do not want anything to do with, you know, murders and car crashes and house fires and, and you know, hard news, stuff like that. We want to tell just the stories of, of where this community is at, where it's going, where it's, you know, falling short sometimes. We're not overly critical. We're generally a little bit more positive and we'll just kind of, you know, focus on the stuff that we think can can take this community somewhere. Every once in a while we do theme issues uh, every year or two uh, where we'll take an entire issue and, and dedicate it to a specific topic. Normally, we come out, come out every two weeks. Uh, during the pandemic here, we are every three weeks as we kind of rebuild a little bit because that's shaken a lot of organizations like ours around the country. But these theme issues, we've done like re- rethinking our rivers and reinventing our streets. And, you know, there is another rethinking sort of word for our neighborhoods. And so we'll do these theme issues on, on those sort of big community topics, neighborhood streets, rivers, you know, even uh, the we did one called Music Capital of the North as our kind of music notoriety grew here with a bunch of major festivals with more than 20,000 people coming to them every summer. There's six of them. So we'll, we'll do some deeper dives into those sort of topics and in print and online to really help the community kind of understand itself and where we're doing well, you know, looking towards other communities that are doing better in certain areas and elevating those examples to perhaps inspire our own thinking here. So we've had a lot of success with those types of, uh, of theme issues and things in the past. But of course, every issue has a feature story on something we, you know, this, this issue we're working on right now, a few restaurants here in the Eau Claire community just went to a um, change their pay model for the entire staff raising, you know, to a living wage and not requiring tips and things and all of the interesting, you know, ins and outs of where that takes the community and takes the worker and takes the diner um, as far as their experiences with each other and with the community. So a big exploration of that. So there's feature stories. We do video documentaries. Last year, we were very fortunate to get a a sizable uh, Facebook grant through the local journalism Association, which is a national uh, group, to do a, a deeper dive story on um, food and farms during the pandemic and, and how that system fared through last summer at farmers markets and local farms and, and the you know the restaurant demand bottomed out and people were nervous to go to the farmers markets and things like that. So what did that do to to some of these you know to that ecosystem? And we did a uh, actually a video documentary on that in depth and a, and a whole story and stuff as well, which we're very fortunate has gotten a lot of uh, accolades since from some national organizations and things. So yeah, we'll we'll jump into some bigger projects once in a while. But the daily grind for us is is just you know what's happening in this community, the events that are going on, the developments that are coming, the ideas that are being uh, discussed. That's kind of where we live and breathe every day. And when you first started, um, if you can like think back to then, you know. You were, I'm assuming, sort of a newcomer being not from the area. Was there like any pushback from the community of like, who's this guy trying to, you know, start something here? He, he's not from here. I know that that's 
something a lot of folks experience. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm from the this chip from the Chippewa Valley. I mean, I was only ten miles you know out of here. I didn't grow up at the schools here and things like that. So I was a little bit outside of the of the typical arts and cultural community that that had been here. But yeah, I mean, at the very beginning, I mean, there was a couple people who kind of snickered a little bit and said, "Oh yeah, people have tried this kind of thing before," and people had. There had been some entertainment publications and things that had kind of taken a stab at it through the '90s and things like that, which sounds like forever ago at this point. So we were just kind of the latest one to give it a shot. And people, there were some people who were skeptical. There were some people who we put out one issue and they said, "Okay, well that's great. You've covered everything there is to do in this community." <laughs> With that one issue, what else are you going to cover? And we're, you know, 450 whatever issues later, and there's we're obviously not running out of things to cover. And frankly, we don't have enough pages to, to print everything that's going on in this community. But that was very much the perception when we first started was that it just was a boring place with, with nothing going on. And if we've had one, you know, success in all of this, it's very much that we have absolutely turned that uh, that perspective on its head and people do not think that about this place anymore even even young kids coming up in it who might think that their hometown is boring that doesn't really happen as much anymore if they have any exposure to community life at all they know that this is a pretty uh, vital place with a lot a lot going on and people are starting to return here more and more after college elsewhere or um, once they start families trying to come back here and a lot of them are sticking through it all the way through too so that's wonderful you mentioned the feedback loop that has happened as a result of like talking about these stories of actually what's going on here. Like, tell us a little bit more about that. What has been some of the impact that you've seen of people awakening to like the full richness of their community? Well, that that unfolds in so many different ways, both you know small and nuanced, and then of course in in big sweeping ways as well. I think the main thing that a, that a community media organization, whether it is your, your daily paper or uh, a TV station or an alt weekly style uh, organization like ours more, the main thing that they can do is, is hold up that mirror to the community. But, you know, what we try to do is we don't just show you, show the community exactly as it is. We kind of try to you know, sprinkle some kind of magic future dust on it a little bit and kind of try to show a reflection of what it could be also. And you do that, you know, through just inspiring people to, to you know, believe in what they want to make happen. If they've always thought about opening a, a retail store or starting a nonprofit of some kind to address a community issue or something, them seeing the success of other people and their ideas and, and what has gone well for them and seeing that there is an organization in town who wants to shed light on what they're doing and that people then hear about it and then they all get connected and more and more could happen. That all just builds a sense of possibilities and more of a yes culture in a community, in my opinion. So there's just more of a chance that people will try things. Now, that doesn't mean that everything will work. Um, that might mean that someone is emboldened to, to go ahead with their not so great idea and it doesn't, doesn't work out for them, but still the community is better off for having seen that person give it a try and go. And we all learn about ourselves more with each iteration of, of things we all try. So, so all that I think builds a, an entrepreneurial sort of culture. It builds a, a desire for people maybe who don't want to start something. They have, you know, they have their job or their world or their family, and they're not looking to change the world in any big way, but they want to participate in what everybody else is doing. And they want to be a part of that support system. So I think just, you know, building a culture of, of excitement around other people's ideas and what they're trying to do helps just 
you know, flood everybody with with more and more support. But if you can talk about these things in a way where it gets really sort of utopian sounding too, because obviously we have lots of problems here. Lots of things don't work. And there's times where you wish that, you know, certain businesses that were in certain areas of the community or things would have been open at the same time together. Or they would have had more synergies, you know, but one was, you know, five years ahead of the other and, and you know, didn't work out or whatever else. So it's not all, you know, success all the time here. Obviously, there's plenty of things that we need to work on here as well. And that's part of the point is continuing to to show those, but not in a way that you're just criticizing it and saying how miserable it is, but you're showing those and saying, hey, what, you know, what could we do about this as a community? And hopefully somebody will will step up and fill a need when that when that happens. And so all those things just build towards, you know, building a community that people care about, that they're passionate about, and that they will, uh, you know, work a little bit harder to support local things when when appropriate, when they can. Yeah. So I understand that you have also um, helped start some like community events, festivals. Can you talk about those? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, our our, our core business is, is publishing, you know, where we do the, the entertainment magazine, we do restaurant guides, student guides, things like that, and all in print and online. Um and then the rest of the organization is rounded out by we, we very early in the process started producing community events, um, just things that we thought needed to happen in the community before there really was as much going on as there is now. We're actually this summer, you know, we had to take obviously last summer off, but we'll be starting our 15th season of what we call the Sounds Like Summer Concert Series, which is a huge weekly concert on the river in Phoenix Park. A lot of communities have this kind of stuff, but, you know, ours didn't 15 years ago. So we started that. There's a couple thousand people come every week throughout the summer. We have a we have a partnership with the university that is a big chalk art festival uh, that has hundreds of artists doing massive chalk murals on the on the on the sidewalks of the university uh, campus. We have a winter event that we partner with the city, with the Parks and Recreation Department that has you know, skating and, and um, you know, sledding and, and all kinds of winter activities. We have we've had discussion series, things that we have, that we've produced. We have, man, just a bunch of different events, that half of which I'm not even thinking of. We've done some full-blown stage shows that are at the Arts Center here. So a lot of different community events that we've that we produced over the years, mo- mo- most of which we still do produce, and we've partnered uh, with others on the on the on the production of other larger events as well. We also kind of helped get just with connecting the dots with the Eau Claire's Music Festival, which was a big festival here that kind of put us on the map in this community with people attending from all over the world and uh, definitely all over the country. That has kind of since had a, had a little hiatus and then hit the COVID thing, and it doesn't have necessarily a return date yet. But we kind of have played a, a decent role in, in helping that uh, come to fruition and getting the community behind that. Um, so yeah, the, the community event thing has been a big part of our model for a long time. And a lot of publications have since uh, learned that about events as well, that those can be great revenue sources, great ways to engage with the community and with readers uh, in ways that maybe you can't just on the pages of your website or your publication. So that's been a big part of what we do. And we also have a, a the most unusual thing that's part of the organization, I guess, is our retail operation. Uh, we have a 4,000 square foot store in the lower level of our office that is a full-blown art gallery, you know, apparel, gifts, you know, food, cheese, beer, wine, all that kind of stuff. Uh, everything with kind of a local, it's called the local store. So everything is made by somebody local or simply kind of evokes a local pride uh, sensibility. And that's uh, something that's just having its 10 year anniversary here this summer um, since we moved into our um, our new building here. So that's become a big part of our business model as well. And it's another way that, the, that readers and the community can support our organization because the publication is free 
And if you don't have anything to advertise necessarily, which is you know the main uh, revenue model, you can at least come to the store and and support us through you know through shopping there. And that whole thing has become a much bigger part of our operation than I ever thought it would be. And we have plans to continue to expand that as well. So, um, and then we have a video production uh, aspect that we do as well. We have a pretty, I have a background in video production kind of before, well, in the early days of, of the publication and even beforehand. And so we've invested quite a bit in some very nice high-end production gear and we do uh, work for clients. We do production for ourselves. Like I mentioned, the documentary that we produced last year. So yeah, we kind of have a lot of different things going on and try to you know just bring all those resources together to impact the place in the best way we can. How did you like decide to take the leap to do all those things? That seems like so many different projects to keep rolling. And I'm guessing you don't have, you know, millions and millions of dollars and a massive staff to execute all this. Like what made you say like, okay, actually we can step up and, and take the initiative to like start events, start a store. Sure. And we do have about 18 full-time people here when we're at full staff, uh, plus then a bunch of part-time people for the store and things like that. So we end up with about 28 people on staff, give or take, here at any given time. But, you know, I I don't know if it's an advisable thing to do is to start all these different things. And, you know, it is pretty diversified. And that has helped us, you know, through through the COVID moment, uh, having that diversification is really, really important. We're still able to produce some videos for people, even if, you know, events weren't happening, our event wing got shut down, our coverage of events is pretty, was pretty much shut down, but the store uh, was doing really well. I mean, it wasn't in the first early days, but over the holidays we had, there was a big push of support and we had the best holiday season we've ever had, which is a very important, um, you know, for a gift oriented store. That's a, that's a huge season for us. But um, so that has helped us through a little bit, a little bit better. But I mean, you know, as far as the why, I think it's probably, you know, something in me that just is too restless to just stick with one thing. And that can be great. And that can be terrible. And there are days where, you know, the staff here will definitely think that I'm, you know, I've lost it because I'm, you know, I'm distracted by some other new idea and we're starting this other new initiative. Uh, but then there's times when they're probably thankful for it because it's not just the same old thing every day. We're always kind of striving for for something new. But everything we do reach for, for the most part, is, yeah, it's for our business purposes, but we really won't do it unless it also has some sort of community value. If it's going to actually improve this place for all of us and for our readers and our community, then we'll pursue it you know, as long as it's financially viable. But we don't necessarily do much that is just for business sake. And I won't say that's always the, will always be the case, especially now as we just try to make sure that we're still here, you know, coming out of the, the pandemic and everything. It's all in, in rooted in just wanting to see cool things happen here. You know, you start that next event because, geez, we really should have, you know, this type of event. Or you start that video production thing because, geez, you know, you really think the community needs some better higher end good video production, you know, talent. So we'll recruit people up for that. So we've been we've been lucky that most of the things that we've tried you know, do work on some level, but at some point it's hard to decide, you know, how much of it is just kind of stirring the pot and which things are actually producing for the organization. And, and we're definitely, you know, a moment like, like COVID and everything gives you a chance to stop and think, you know, what really should we be focusing on? So. Yeah. Has the magazine always been free? I didn't realize that when I was starting to read up on, on your work, like what went behind that decision? 
Well, I mean, we we sort of started with that alt weekly model, which is you know like in in bigger most big markets have a have a paper that's been around since the seventies or eighties or certainly the nineties. Um, that's their free weekly alternative newspaper, and those tend to you know do a lot of investigative journalism stories and, and stuff like that, and they often will have a snarky tone and really critical of their communities and things like that. And that's all good and has a value of a certain kind. So, but we kind of modeled it after that, but we took a much more positive spin on it uh, and trying to kind of build the community up a little bit more than ripping it down. You know, those are free weekly papers and we never went, we've never been weekly. We started monthly for a few years and then we went to every other week. Um, And like I said, now just while we kind of sort through our you know, issues of, of COVID and stuff here. We've been every three weeks, but we plan to go back to every two weeks. And that seems to be a good cadence for us and for this community and what's going on in it. But yeah, free is always the model because um, you can just get more, you know, you get the ideas out to more people more freely. And so it's always been an advertising supported publication. Uh, in our case, also the event sponsorships, also the retail store. And also last year, you know, as soon as the pandemic started, we also did launch a member support initiative as well, where we had uh, nearly a thousand different people and families step up with uh, donations anywhere from, I think, 30 to 500 plus dollars to just kind of support the organization overall. And that's a, that's a program we intend to keep rolling each year. Very cool. Has your outlook on Eau Claire changed over time as you've been part of all this work? Or were you always like a believer? Um, well, I, I must have been a believer in the early days because that's why we started things. You know, I knew that, again, I knew there were there were cool things happening. My friends were doing them, but nobody was paying attention in the media or in the mainstream, you know, quote, of, of this community. So I was a believer then. But I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's it's traveling other places that you kind of see what's possible and how other communities are doing and, and where your own community might be ahead or behind. And I go other places and I more often come back. I can come back equally inspired by, hey, we could do better as a community because I've seen it in these other places. But I also sometimes get really frustrated as well. My wife gets frustrated with me because we'll be on a trip and we'll be in some cool, you know, mid-sized town that really shouldn't be any better than, than Eau Claire is, but it might have some amazing thing about it. And I just get kind of frustrated and upset. And I'm just like, man, why isn't Eau Claire doing things this way? Why hasn't anybody stepped up with this model of a, of a you know, business of some kind? And so I don't just enjoy it in the moment when I'm there. I'm always comparing it back to my own community. And it's, it's not a healthy thing to do, especially when you're on vacation. But that's the, the burden that I sort of have. So I think it has evolved. Like I've always been a proponent for it, but I, I do see, you know, where the problems are and I'm more aware of those than ever. I think I've, I've matured in my, my perspective and understanding that this, there are a lot of places that are doing as well as we are in this community. We're not, you know, we're not some diamond example that's above and beyond anyone else. We've talked that way for a long time. And I think in an effort to get the community thinking that way. And I think a lot of people are now, but that can go too far to where you can start to think, well, we're, we're, we're great. We don't need to improve anymore or, you know, those types of things. So you have to find that delicate balance of, of still pointing out where, you know, where things need work. And there are lots of those areas in this community with, you know, affordable housing and, and um, you know, some poverty issues and, and, and all kinds of different things that need attention still. So we can't rest on our laurels and just think that we're great and leave it at that. We got to kind of keep the whole, the big picture in mind. Yeah. 
So to close this out, what advice would you offer for others who might want to step up and try to change the narrative on their place in some way through, you know, maybe even starting a publication or events like you've done? What advice would you offer for someone who wants to take that step? And really, the community messaging part is so important. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a print publication. Certainly these days, you can do it without that online and on social media and things like that, or through existing media. I mean, through partnerships with with the media that already exist in your town, if, if they need a refresh or they need fresh eyes or perspective or a recurring series of some kind. But I do think that 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 constant ability to message the community with with what's happening, with you know where things could be, with you know what other pe- what other communities are doing is really important because a lot of regular citizens don't you know, that maybe aren't into community development or you know civic policy and things like that. They don't pay attention to what other communities are doing in those areas. But if you put it stories about those things in a place that they're familiar with, a publication or a website or a social media feed or something and show them that this is what other places are doing um, that can start to that over time that starts to percolate and starts to change people's perspective is what's possible and they might not they may have had an attitude of you know well that's just not how we do things here or oh that's nice for those people but that can't work in a place like this I mean those those attitudes start to change so I think finding a way to have a, a consistent message with you know and a dialogue with your community is is really important to kind of making big shifts in thinking and in, in understanding of what can be possible. So, and there's a lot of different ways to achieve that if you get creative and look for them. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Nick Meyer, for taking the time to talk with us and um, share about your work and your magazine. I'll definitely include links to all the stuff that you've mentioned in our show notes. And um, yeah, thanks for being here. All right. Thank you. You know, as Nick was talking, I was thinking about a recent series and ebook that we just put out at Strong Towns called Breaking Out of the Resource Trap, an Economic Plan for Resource-Based Communities. I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes. But I bring it up here because it is full of practical ideas to help any community like Eau Claire that has been dependent on one or a few industries for its economic survival and helps those places that are trying to pivot to build a more resilient, diversified local economy. The book has also got case studies of several places that are successfully making this shift. That ebook and articles and also recording of a recent webcast hosted by Chuck Marone are all on our website, completely free to you at strongtowns.org slash grow stronger. I highly recommend you check it out. If you appreciate resources like this podcast, like that ebook, and everything that we do at Strong Towns, please support this work. We cannot do it without your support. I know um, a lot of podcasts these days have a Patreon, and uh, membership with us is basically your equivalent of that, except for it's a tax-deductible donation because we are a nonprofit. So head to strongtowns.org slash membership. Just like a Patreon, you know, you can support us at $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, um, whatever works for you, or just make a one-time contribution. We really appreciate it. Strongtowns.org slash membership. Super easy and quick. Your support makes a huge difference. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. We will see you back here next week.